0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 26. This week there has been a good bit of news about the fact that the third-ranking officer in Korea has spoken out concerning his feelings as a military officer about the withdrawal of our troops under the new administration from Korea, and uh, as a result has been relieved of his command. We have a situation in the passage before us here, where as a new administration comes in, uh, God calls upon his prophet Jeremiah to go and address himself to this generation with a message that won't be very popular. The first thing that we encounter in this chapter is the reiteration of the requirement of obedience. We see that uh, in verse 1, a new administration is taken over in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah came this word from the Lord. Now, the book of Jeremiah is not put together exactly in chronological order. And last week, as we dealt with chapter 25, we had there something that occurred in the several years later in Jehoiakim's reign. But at this point, Jeremiah is bringing before us something that occurred right at the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign, and it was the fact that. God required of Jeremiah that he go and reiterate for this new administration what he's been saying all along. He was to say this, verse two Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. He's to go into reiterate the commands that God has given to the nation, and uh, he is not to diminish a word. God knew that uh, Jeremiah would be tempted not to say the hard things, as that's the peculiar temptation of the office of preacher or prophet, uh, not to say those things which will not be pleasing to those uh, that we address, the fear of men becoming a snare. So he's warned to do not diminish a single word. And why he was to do this, verse 3, If so be they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doing. God says that perhaps they will turn. Let's try once more, Jeremiah, and maybe they will turn from their evil way and then I will repent me of the evil that I purpose to do unto them for their evil doing. Now, we would understand when the scripture speaks like that, God saying, possibly, perhaps, and uh, God speaking of repenting, that it's God putting it in these terms to communicate to us the fact that his actions are based relative to our actions. God runs the world according to a divine plan known unto God are all of His works from the beginning of the creation. Now, the short of Catechism says the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, his eternal plan, whereby, according to his own will and for his own glory, he hath before ordained whatsoever comes to pass. He's previously destined everything that comes to pass. Uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah says, uh, has the Lord saying this, I am God and there is none like me, I am God and there is none else, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, my plan shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So we'd understand from one one perspective, God is sovereign, God has an eternal, unchanging plan that all things are worked according to. God's providence is causing things to work out according to his predestined plan. But on the other hand, we need to understand that we're not puppets, that we are free moral agents. Doesn't mean we have a free will, but we are free agents. And we're held responsible for the choices that we make, and his dealings with us have to do with the choices that we make, and this is being brought before us. And we have to maintain that tension. Uh, our minds are too small to understand and to uh, cause those two things to be reconciled, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but they're both taught in Scripture and they're both true. And so we live with that tension, and we understand that we are held responsible. God knows that they will not turn, but he desires that they will turn, and he will give them every opportunity to turn, and so he puts it in this way. You see the requirement of Jeremiah and the reason for it. Notice the requirement of the people. In verse 4, Thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If ye will not hearken to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, then will I make this house like Shiloh, Shiloh is where the tabernacle was for a period of time, and now it was utterly desolate, conquered, waste. I'll make this house, the temple, like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. He went and he carried it out as hard and as difficult a task as it was as unpleasant as his words would be. Notice that requirement of the people. What is the requirement? He said it was the reiteration of the requirement of obedience. That's what God has been saying through Isaiah all along. If you will hearken unto my words, which to walk in my law, which I have set before you, John Calvin says, God here testifies that His will is not ambiguous or doubtful, for He has prescribed what is right in His law. Were God to descend from heaven a hundred times, He would bring nothing but this message, that He has spoken what is necessary to be known. The requirement of obedience. From one end of Scripture to the other end of Scripture, that's the requirement. Whether God speaking to Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect, or whether he's speaking in the New Testament, where he says, Jesus says, the great commandment to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. Uh, wherever you turn in Scripture, the great requirement to obey God's revealed will. And it's clear. It's spelled out. It's summed up in the Ten Commandments and in those two Great Commandments, which are a summary of the Ten. Now, that's not the only requirement, in a sense. Uh, we are required to acknowledge that we have not obeyed, that we are guilty, ruined, doomed sinners. We are required to acknowledge that. And we are required to take God's solution for that, namely put our faith in his Son who died for our disobedience, who paid The price of our sin. There was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He alone could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And he paid it in full. We're required to place our trust in what Jesus Christ has done, who he is and what he's done. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death I staked my whole eternity. That's required. We're required to repent to surrender our will to the Sovereign God, to enter his kingdom as he becomes king in us. All of those are required, but we can say throughout, here's this emphasis on obedience to his revealed will. Now, as we have been looking at this requirement over and over, when we were in the 17th chapter a special emphasis was given to the keeping of the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. And they were bearing burdens on the Sabbath day. They were not keeping it. They were carrying on business as usual. And he particularly singled that out, their disobedience of his revealed will there. And in preaching on that, in the heat of the moment, I said something I didn't mean to say. I didn't mean to single out one particular group who were disobeying the Sabbath. But I did. I mentioned the whole real estate business, which is structured to sell homes on Sunday. And uh, at the close of the service, uh, one of the people who happens to be in real estate, a salesman, came to me very disturbed. And uh, we had lunch together, and uh, he said, I'm concerned to do God's will, and uh, you really shut me up. And he explained to me, as an ignorant clergyman. <coughs> Some of the things that I uh, didn't understand about Bennett, <coughs> and I appreciated it because I didn't. Uh, I didn't understand uh, just the way the uh, uh, real estate business was structured around uh, sales on Sunday, the fact that that's the day you have your openings, that your newspaper advertisement is set up that way, that the way to progress in the real estate business is to get listing, and no one is going to list their home with you if you're not going to be open on the day that. People were out looking and on and on and on. He's described all these things and really helped me with my understanding of the real estate business. And then I explained to him what I thought the Word of God had to say, that nonetheless he was to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, and that it seemed to me to carry on business as usual on Sunday was a direct violation of the revealed will of God. It was not a work of necessity or a work of mercy. And that in every occupation there is that particular point where you are tempted to go against the revealed will of God, severely tempted. In every occupation, in every age range, there are those peculiar temptations in every age whether you're talking about a man who's in politics or a man who's in medicine or a man who's in the ministry, whatever calling he may be in, that there are those points where the rubber meets the road, and it's hard to do the will of God. We see one of those points for Jeremiah, where the rubber met the road for Jeremiah. He was called by God to go right up to the public place in the court of the house of the Lord and make this speech." And he'd just as soon not have done it. But he didn't have the option. He was to obey the revealed will of God. I told him of a man over in Georgia that I met who was a new Christian. I met him just several months ago, and he shared how, after he became a Christian, He resolved in his heart to do God's will, as God showed it to him. His life had been so messed up, and God had done such an amazing thing in bringing him to himself, a young man, had brought his wife back to him, his family, had brought him out of of the verge of bankruptcy and some other things. He hadn't been a Christian but several months when all of a sudden he read on his own in the Word of God about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, not to labor on it. And he understood that we we today would apply this to the Christian Sabbath, to the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And so he said uh, that he would feast doing business on Sunday. He was in the mobile home business. that's the big day you sell mobile homes. So he would sell more mobile homes on that day than all the rest of the week put together. So he went in and announced to his salesman, He said, uh, we're not going to be open this Sunday or any more Sundays. They immediately called the doctor. Uh, They immediately got on the phone and began looking for another job. And uh, he pleaded with them to stick with him and let's see what happens. And he went on to share how that month they sold more mobile homes than they had in any month since they'd been busy. God doesn't guarantee that. God doesn't guarantee the man who is in a business like that that if he will uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and not do business on Sunday, that he will be financially recompensed in such a way that he won't suffer at all. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say, you won't suffer if you do my will. Jeremiah suffered. Uh, It's costly to do God's will. But it is exciting to see how God often comes through when that kind of faith is placed in him and when this kind of obedience is rendered. And God uh, does bless in one way or another. That is the blessed life. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That man will be blessed as he tries to carry it out. So I suggested to the real estate salesman that if I were him, that the first thing I would do is I would put before my boss, my employer, something like this, something like the children of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel did when they were taken captive to Babylon. And they were put on a particular diet which was against God's revealed will for them. And they said to the man over them, Let us eat the food that God has commanded us to eat, and you feed the others this, and see if at the end of a period of time our countenances are not more healthy than theirs. Put it before your employer like that. Let me not sell on Sunday. And... Uh, See if, over a period of time, my sales are not as good as they have been, if not better, or compare me with someone else and see how my sales did. Uh, let me proceed in this way. That's the first thing I would do. Second, I would resolve not to sell on Sunday, except in a case where you were really performing someone a mercy, in the sense of the, maybe this was the only day they could get into town and as a service to them, you did it. Very rarely, the ox was in the ditch. And you helped them just on a very rare occasion as a service to someone else. And uh, beyond that, you would not do it. When you lift a home for someone, you'll explain to them that you will not show the home on Sunday. Well, I watched him as he wrestled with that and sweat. And then he said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And we prayed. He said, there's one exception. I've already listed a home, and that home needs to sell by Tuesday week, let's say. And uh, he'd had it on the market for several months, and he, it hadn't sold. It needed to sell by a little over a week from that time. He said, I feel obligated to them to... Uh, Show it on Sunday since that was the way we started off with them. I said, Alright. And we prayed that if it was God's will, that house would sell by that next Tuesday. It sold on Sunday. He was excited about that. Then we prayed that God would bring him out of town customers, since those are the ones who really have to buy. They're not just looking. And that God would give him listings. The next week he sold two houses on Friday to two out of town customers. And the man lifted his house with him with his distinct understanding that he would not be selling on Sunday. God honored it in that particular situation, in that way. To the graduating class, to everyone present, to myself, I would say it's always going to be hard to do God's will. The greatest decision you can make as a Christian, once you're a Christian, is that you're going to make God's revealed will the rule of your life. Paul says, "I herein do I exercise myself continually to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I'm taking for my rule the written word of God, and I'm going to try to live according to what he spelled out. That's a successful life. See, right there, that's success. How was it uh, <coughs> uh, that Jeremiah was uh, able to do this? Well, uh, thing, how was it that this real estate agent was to do it? It was by faith, wasn't it, in a very real sense, and it takes faith. We need to make this point. It's always going to be hard to do God's will. Never going to be easy. For some it will be easier than for others. In some generations it will be easier. In America it's been a lot easier for the last several hundred years than it was a period of time in England or than it is right now in Cambodia or uh, than it has been in Vietnam or wherever. Uh, But it's always going to be hard. We're not saved by our obedience. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ who died for our disobedience. Nonetheless, we are to obey We're saved to obey. Christ died to make us obedient. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. God's object in sending his Son was that we might walk according to the law, the way the law said walk, in the power of the Spirit. We're saved as a gift by grace through faith, but that involves also repentance. And the old Puritan said, the heart that is smitten with evangelical repentance continues to believe. There's repentance unto life, and then there's repentance within life, indicating that I have life. And that's one of the great values of it being hard to do the will of God. You know the great value of that? You can tell whether or not you're a Christian. Hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that says that he knows him and keeps not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Not keep him in any perfect sense, but the trend of my life, one of obedience. And when I hit these hard spots, obedience. The great value of it being hard is it tests the temper of my faith. Is it the real thing or not? It makes me stronger as I do obey in these tough places. First John five three, New English Bible, to love God is to keep His commands, and they are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands are freeing, freeing commands. You know what? There are ten great freedoms to use the title of a book on the Ten Commandments in uh, the opening chapter of that book, this statement is made. God is no tyrant but the Deliverer. He freed his people Israel from bondage in Egypt. Then he led them to Mount Sinai, and from Mount Sinai he made clear to them how great the freedom is which one has with God. He made it clear to them in ten propositions. Eight of these ten began, you shall not. Two began, you shall None begin, it is forbidden, but all begin, I, God, and you, man. Now we belong together. And if we are to remain together, then your life will have to look like this. You will have no other gods, you will honor my name, you will not run yourself to death, you will live as a person in your family, and so on. The Ten Commandments are the ten articles of the great freedom which God bestows. In other words, God says in the commandment to remember the Sabbath day, you don't have to work on Sunday. I have freed you up from that. You don't have to do that. I'll see to it that you can make it without doing that. You can have a day that you come apart and worship me and serve me throughout that day. He says you don't have to lust. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You don't have to be controlled by lust. I'll set you free from that, too. And so on. There are ten great freedoms. We see the reiteration of the requirement of obedience. Second, the reaction of the priests, prophets, and people in verse 8. Now, it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people that the priests and prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. The conviction that he should be put to death for this, having prophesied against the the city and against the temple. The convening of a trial. In verse 10, When the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house, under the house of the Lord, and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Here's the convening of a trial. Then there's the charge brought against Jeremiah. Then spake the priest and the prophets; These would be false prophets. Under the princes and all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears. Then you have the case for the defense. Jeremiah defends himself. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand; Do with me as it seemeth good and meet unto you." You notice he doesn't apologize, he doesn't retract the word. He says, the Lord sent it. I spake as he commanded. He said, the thing you need to do is obey God. As for me, put me to death. I'm willing to die. That's amazing. Where does he get that strength from? Where does he get this fearlessness? Well, we've watched him throughout the book. It wasn't natural to him to be that way. But he feared God more than he feared man. Jesus said that we were not to fear men who could only harm the body, but we were to fear God who can cast body and soul into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. He speaks of being in their hand. <clears throat> Actually, he wasn't really in their hand, was He, he was really in the hand of the Lord. Uh, again, uh, as Calvin says, We are in their hands, that is, as far as we perceive. We ought not, we ought yet to understand that we are by no means so exposed to the will of the wicked that they can do what they please with us. For God restrains them as with a bridle. You're never really at the mercy of man when you belong to the Lord. What was it he said in that same passage in Matthew 10 about not fearing men? He said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do not be afraid. The hairs of your head are all numbered, not a spell falls without your heavenly Father, without my letting it happen, without it being my express permission and command. So we're not to be afraid. We're not in men's hands in any direct sense. He restrains men with that invisible bladder, or he may let them kill us. But we were in his hand, and that death came at his hand. So faith. He feared God more than he feared men. The fear of God removed the fear of men. He had faith in the Lord that he was really in the Lord's hands, and he would trust God however it came out. He had formed the habit by now of obeying God's revealed will. That's a habit. And we need to be obeying him in the small things so that when the big ones come along, we're ready for them. And he had formed the habit, so when this big test came along, he was ready for death, if that was what was necessary. Today we can add uh, that we can be filled with the Spirit. We live this side of Pentecost, suddenly Jeremiah had the Spirit. But we have an even greater indwelling of the Spirit of God when we walk in the Spirit now than those Old Testament believers had. We are told that the Spirit is now poured out on all flesh, all believing flesh, meaning that we have the resource of the Holy Spirit in a way that even these Old Testament prophets didn't have, to give us courage, to give us boldness, to enable us to withstand temptation and fear. And that as we walk in the Spirit, relying on God the Holy Spirit to give us courage and to give us the fruit of the Spirit, as we yield to His prompting, why we'll be producing fruit that we never could have produced. That's how Jeremiah was able to stand up by not fearing men because he feared God, by uh, faith in the Lord, by forming the habit of obedience and of course by being filled with the Spirit. The danger of bringing more guilt upon themselves, in verse 15, but know ye for certain that if you put me to death, you shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city. We see the uh, reiteration of the requirement, the reaction of the priests and prophets and people. Now the reasoning of the princes and elders as they hear the case. The Reasoning of the Princes, verse 16, Then said the princes and all the people under the priests and the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And then the elders bring in two parallel cases, one the case of Micah. They say, You know, Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps. He said, But... King Hezekiah was a godly king, and he repented at that word. And that's what we should do. He didn't put Micah to death. And uh, then they use another illustration, a prophet by the name of Uriah, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah, just like Jeremiah did. And they say, remember, the king put him to death when when Jehoiakim, the king... But all of his mighty men and the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. He fled into Egypt. The king sent him to Egypt, took him, and killed him. They say here are two parallel cases. King Hezekiah didn't put Micah to death, and uh, King Jehoiakim has already put one man to death who spoke in the name of the Lord. We are in grave danger of bringing more guilt on the city. And there's the release of Jeremiah through the help of Ahiakim. Verse 24, Nevertheless, the hand of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, and that they should not give him into the hands of the people to put him to death. So he's released. He stood up, he did God's will, God held that battle, and while they raged against him, he was released. It's always going to be hard to do God's will. Never going to be easy. But that's the great issue of life. That's the choice before us all. If you're a Christian, that's of tremendous importance in your Christian life. Jesus said that he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he will be loved of my Father, and we will come and manifest ourselves unto him. He said, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I kept my father's commandments and abode in his love. So here is the great command, the requirement of obedience to God's revealed will. We can do this just like Jeremiah did it. We have more resources available than Jeremiah had. This is the great daily choice that we need to make, to be fruitful, to be successful. If you're not a Christian, the choice for you is initial repentance and faith. Surrender to God, acknowledge your guilt, put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you on the basis of his death for you. That's the beginning place. To come and dwell within and begin to enable you to obey. Let us pray. Father, we pray that this challenge of Jeremiah to walk in your law, to hearken to your revealed will, that this would be caught and taken seriously, Father, by every one of us, that we would not pass it by, that we would not rest until we had honestly searched our lives in the light of your word and uh, dealt with those areas of disobedience, which you show us. Father, we thank you that you bless those who obey, that you honor obedience and faith. We pray, Father, that uh, any present who have never made that initial surrender would do so, that they would commit their lives to Christ, surrender their wills to him, put their trust in him as their Savior and Lord right now. You've never done that, but would like to do it, you pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my need of you, and I am repentant. I'm willing to live according to your revealed will, although I know I do not have the strength. And Lord, I trust you to forgive me for my sins, to come and dwell within, and to enable me to begin to follow you. Father, we thank you that you've heard uh, these prayers. We pray that you would apply to our heart this passage. In Jesus' name, amen.